Good morning. We are going to be in 2 Timothy chapters 3 and 4. I'd like to read chapter 3 and part of chapter 4. Seeing we are talking about the building of instruction and this morning particularly the word of God. And so in 2 Timothy chapter 3, as you're getting your Bibles or electronic gizmos going, 2 Timothy chapter 3. Paul, writing to his son in the faith, his beloved Timothy, said, But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, and from such people turn away. For of this sort are those who creep into households and make captives of gullible women, loaded down with sins, led away by various lusts, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now as Janus and Jambres resisted Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds, disapproved concerning the faith, but they will progress no further, for their folly will be manifest to all as theirs also was." But you, Timothy, have carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions, which happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. But evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. For chapter 4, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you, Timothy, be watchful in all things. Endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, Fulfill your ministry. Let's pray. So, Lord, we prayed a few, a few times here, but never have we prayed more than we need to. We need, Lord, to come to you consistently and continually, asking, Lord, to open our hearts to your word by your spirit. Give us ears to hear this morning what the spirit is saying. Bless, Lord, the things that I've prepared. Anoint them, break them fresh this service, and feed us as only you can. By your holy word, which we now are studying. Bless, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. As a Christian man, as a Christian husband, as a Christian father and now grandfather, as a Christian brother, as a Christian minister, as a Christian pastor-teacher, the older I get the more willing I am to embrace this fact, I don't have all the answers. How about you? 
that there are no easy answers to much of life. You know, when I was younger, I thought I had the answers. But life has a way of throwing you a lot of questions that don't seem to get answered like you thought you, they should get answered. There's difficulties and questions that come up. And the more of life we live, the more we realize what George Verwer said yesterday or last Sunday about messiology. <laughs> you know, remember what he said? Where two or more are gathered in my name, Sooner or later, there's going to be a mess. Can I hear an amen? Someone said, I have learned all kinds of things from my many mistakes. The one thing I never learn is to stop making them. Lucy says to Charlie Brown, you learn more when you lose. Charlie Brown answered, well, then I must be the smartest person in the world. Mahatma Gandhi said this, and I like it. The expert knows more and more about less and less until he knows everything about nothing. <laughs> the expert knows more and more about less and less until he knows everything about nothing. Is that not the case? However, as a Christian, God is working all things together for good. He is always teaching me and you who are believers that the difficulties of life can be met at every juncture. No matter what the question or the quandary, no matter how great the failure or weakness, with prayer and his word, I can meet them all. These two indispensable components are paramount to my learning truth and living truth as a follower of Jesus Christ, as a disciple, which by the way, the word disciple means a learner. So the building of instruction where disciples are made is what we're moving into this morning, two studies, learning truth and living truth. You cannot separate them, but we're gonna separate them between two weeks. In other words, if I can keep my knees on the ground and my nose in the Bible, I will learn. I can ask questions and not demand an answer. I can face pain and not necessarily need relief. I can admit failure and not live condemned. I can embrace my weakness and actually be thankful for it if I'll keep my knees on the ground and my nose in the Bible. Prayer and the Word. In prayer and the ministry of the Word to our lives as believers, God has promised to meet us there and to lead us there and from there with His presence, with His power with his pardon, and ultimately with his peace. That no matter what the storms may bring, I have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And brothers and sisters, he's promised that to the believer. His presence, his power, his pardon, and his peace. If I will continue to keep my knees on the ground and my nose in my Bible and be learning truth that I might live truth, so long as I keep learning from God's word, I will keep growing as a disciple of Jesus Christ and a lover of God. Again, so long as I keep learning from God's word, I will keep growing as a disciple of Jesus Christ and a lover of God. Gandhi also said this, live, live as if you were to die tomorrow Learn as if you were to live forever. Brothers and sisters, we are going to live forever. They both apply. Live as if you were going to die tomorrow. Learn as if you were going to live forever. You know who B.B. King is? He's not like the country music song we sang this morning. He's a little blues. 
Listen to what he said. I like this quote also. He said, the beautiful thing about learning is that nobody can take it away from you. I often wish that I could give at least a little part of my relationship with the Lord to someone that I care about that's not walking with the Lord. But see, I can't. But neither can anyone take my relationship with the Lord from me. It's that personal. And that's the God that reveals himself and leads us through prayer and his word. That we can learn things that God himself is imparting to us in learning truth and living truth. And so that's, that hymn came to mind, how firm a foundation, you saints of the Lord. Now, have you missed my acrostics? I haven't used acrostics for a while. I always get sort of, you know, little twist. Oh, it's another acrostic. I got an acrostic for you this morning. Is that all right? It's F-I-R-M. How firm a foundation, ye saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in his excellent word. What more can he say than to you he hath said? To you who for refuge to Jesus have fled. You see, the F is the foundation of our instruction is it's all about Jesus. It's all about him. The soul that on Jesus doth lean for repose, I will not, I will not desert to his foes. That soul, though all hell should endeavor to shake, I'll never, no, never, no, never forsake. It's all about Jesus. The truth about Jesus and his redemptive work is the very foundation of the gospel and all sound doctrine. It comes back to him, Christ, the living word. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. When darkness seems to veil his face, I rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. His oath, his covenant, and his blood support me in the whelming flood. When all around my soul gives way, he then is all my hope and stay. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. The foundation of our instruction is this, it's all about Jesus. It's, he is the cornerstone of our faith. When the last trumpet's voice shall sound, oh, may I then in him be found, clothed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before his throne. Now, I can't even imagine what that's gonna be like, but I'll tell you what, I don't deserve it. But God's given that to me. That is the foundation of everything that we learn is that Jesus, who he is and what he's accomplished. In our learning, it's about Jesus. Therefore, you are fellow citizens, members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. If you don't have the Jesus of the Bible, you have no foundation. If you don't have the apostles and prophets doctrine, as we have it in the Bible, you have no doctrine that will save you. Oh, it might have parts of that, but you need the whole counsel of God. And it's in the apostles and prophets' testimonies and written doctrine that we have in the Bible. Jesus warned about false prophets and false teachers. In the New Testament, in the book of Acts, Paul warned about false prophets and false teachers. In the epistles, the warnings are there about false prophets and false teachers because Satan has his counterfeits. He has his counterfeit gospel. He has his counterfeit apostles, his counterfeit prophets, his counterfeit teachers. They're out there. Here's the question. What are they saying about Jesus Christ, who he is and what he did? That's the foundation. That's the cornerstone. Peter said, but there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies. How? Denying the Lord who bought them. 
different Jesus. They'll bring on themselves swift destruction and many will follow their destructive ways because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. Be careful. The one thing that needs to be measured is what is being said about who Jesus is and what he did. That's the foundation. Secondly, I, the inspiration of our instruction. We're now in 2 Timothy chapter 3 where he says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. Now he's coming off these horrible lists. Know this, in the last days, perilous times will come. Men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unmerciful. And he just goes on this terrible list. What's going to change that? Preach the word. Preach the word. Be ready in season, out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. That's what changes people's lives. That's what we need, the inspiration of the scriptures. So Paul said to Timothy, all scriptures given by inspiration of God. Now, I looked up that word all in the Greek. It's a very interesting word. You know what it means? Exactly. All. Now, in the Greek, which is a much more expansive uh, language, it speaks of a, it's a collective phrase. It speaks of a totality. So you can't get away from that. All scripture is given by the inspiration, by inspiration of God. It's God breathed. What does that mean? It means that the supernatural influence of the Holy Spirit on the Bible writers guaranteed what they wrote was accurate. And here's the word trustworthy. I love talking about this stuff. Peter said, prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved along by the Holy Spirit of God. How did God do that? I don't know, but he did it. He inspired every writer to put down into the, the books that we have, the canon of scripture, the 66 books of our Bible, to write that under his inspiration, using their character and their personalities, he gave to us a clear extraterrestrial communication from God himself. You see, it's out of this world. It's supernatural. Satan has attacked the inspiration of the scriptures right from the beginning. Has God really said? Inspiration has to do with the recording of this communication in a way that is dependable. Whatever the Bible says about itself, about God, man, life, death, history, science, and every other subject is true and trustworthy. Now, it's not that every statement is true. The Bible records lies, but the record is true. The record is true. Here's what I wrote. It is inconceivable. Now, whenever I use that word, I'm immediately drawn to inconceivable. Let me tell you, it is inconceivable that God would give his people a book that they could not trust. And yet that, that's what's going on today. Here's really what God said, but this isn't part of it. And so there's a sort of sectioning out the things that people like and the things that they don't like. Well, if we start doing that, who's the authority? And we've just lost the authority of the scriptures. The word of God is supernatural. It's out of this world. I have here up on the stage a few of these pamphlets. You can also go online and get in the same article. It's a little more expansive. It's called The Holy Bible, Holy True by Winky Prattney. It's a very old uh, track kind of a uh, thing. Let me read what he wrote, part of what he wrote. The Bible isn't like any other book that has been written. The claims of the Bible are unlike any other book. It's not a human book. Unless you have a, listen, this is interesting because it's true. Unless you have a rock solid commitment to the truth, it will not change your life. Is it the truth? Absolutely. But if you want to question it, it will not change your life. In other words, you become the authority rather than God who wants to change your life, speak into it through his word, changing it. Here's what will happen. It will only be so many words in a sea of words. 
God called his word living. You can't mess with it. It is too heavy. He closes this track with no other conclusion. You can put any test that you like on this book and nothing is even in the same category. Nothing even in the same class. It is not a, it is not a book. It is, a, it is God who has spoken in history and that is why he says, my word is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Only the 66 books of the scriptures bear this divine seal. No other book up on your screen, no other book of man in any language even faintly resembles the intricate structure and design of the Bible. The fact remains only an infinite mind could have devised this book of books. Now you must take what it says as just what it is, the word of God. The word of God is supernatural and let me tell you, it's super powerful. It's alive and powerful. Sharper than any two-edged sword, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. It go, why is it? It goes, it goes down into the heart. So how do we answer even the Christian? How do we answer the skeptic? How do we answer the critic? We get out the sword and let it be used for what God gave it to be used for. It's the truth. We use the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. We let the living word of God cut deep into the heart of the matters of life. That's why Hebrews 4.12, it's able to discern the word of God is living and powerful, piercing even to the vision of soul and spirit and joints and marrows, and is discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. God has declared in his word the power to change lives. Through the proclamation of the gospel, you see, the, the word of God is not for negotiation, it's for proclamation, it's for instruction. There's a lot of negotiating going on right now with the word of God. You've lost the power if we start negotiating what we would like to, you know, sort of, okay, I'll take that, but not that. And this is what brings the tension of truth. Is it the truth or not? And if it is the truth and I don't like it, I'm the one that has to change because the truth is an immovable wall and if you go up against enough, you're going to kill yourself with it. It's true. I charge you, therefore, Paul said to Timothy, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing, preach the word. In other words, Timothy, you will be judged. He's going to judge you. He's going to judge everyone else. And what is it that will bring a person to understand that truth and get their lives right? Preach the word. Be ready in season, out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine because the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they're going to heap up for themselves what? Teachers. And turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. A fable can't save you. A fable can't change your life. It might be a nice story, but it has no power to do that. And so we herald the word of God. We should afflict the comfortable and comfort the afflicted. And that's what the word of God can do. God knows what's going on in the hearts. And through his word, he begins to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. To leave the word of God out of our instruction is to leave those who listen to deception and possible destruction. See, it's a very short step from itching ears to turning their ears away from the truth and to fables. The last thing God wants is a comfortable church full of religious sweet talk. What God wants is a church filled with a deep conviction and love for the truth. That's the church that God changes. Inspiration of our instruction. Charles Spurgeon wrote this. The word of God can take care of itself and will do so if we preach it and cease defending it. He says, see you that lion? They have caged him for his preservation, shut him up behind iron bars to secure him from his foes. 
See how a band of armed men have gathered together to protect the lion. What a clatter they make with their swords and spears. These mighty men are intent upon defending the lion. Oh, fools and slow of heart. I should suggest to them, stand back and open the door and let the lion out. I believe, he writes, that would be the best way of defending him for he would take care of himself and the best apology for the gospel is to let the gospel out. Never mind about defending Deuteronomy or the whole of the Pentateuch. Preach Jesus Christ and him crucified. Let the lion out. Let the word of God out. What do we do with critics and skeptics and even our Christian brothers and sisters? Bring out the word of God. It's the sword of the spirit which can take care of the matters of the heart. It's supernatural, super powerful. And you know what else the word is? It's super personal. It's super personal. When we're in the word of God and in prayer, God the Holy Spirit has us tagged one person with one God. Someone might accuse us of Bible bias. Indeed. We dare not let the Bible get by us. You getting it? I got a great Bible bias. Hey, people say, well, my brain's being washed by the Bible. I say, wash on. Because it's the truth. It can correct me and rebuke me and set me in the right direction because it's the truth. Not a fable. God said in Deuteronomy, therefore you shall lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul and bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall teach them to your children, speaking of them when you sit in, the, in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up and you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates that your days and the days of your children may be multiplied in the land which the Lord your God swore to your fathers to give them like the days of the heavens above the earth. You see, God's saying, you get that word into your children's heart. And I must confess to you, I have six children. And my two oldest, Brandon's here and Trevor, and then we have Marcus and Terrence. We adopted them, I don't know, how old, maybe five years later. And we used to be so faithful to take our little Bible, picture Bible book and read it to you guys every night to the point where they could almost just listening often to the story of Goliath or whoever it was, they could repeat back the Bible, these little stories to us. But you know what? When you got six kids, you get tired. Now we have left at our home, Titus, who's 15, and Mariah, who's just turned 11. I lost that precious time. I talked to you about this stuff, and I said, I got to re-up that. Time slips by so quickly. The best thing I can put in my children's hearts is the word of God. They're memorizing scripture in, in Paradise Point. Memorize scripture in their, in their school. You with me, parents? It doesn't take long. But I'll tell you what, it's the last thing the enemy wants us giving them. Pastor Chuck, he tells a story about his mom. She'd just be continuously reading the Bible to him. You see, it's alive and powerful. If it just gets in there, it can do its work. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testament of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eye. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter than honey and the honeycomb. And by keeping them, your servant is greatly rewarded. How are you doing with the Bible? 
How are you doing with reading the Bible and stacking it up into your heart and mind? How can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to your word. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. The entrance of your word gives light. It gives understanding to the sinful. I will worship toward your holy temple, the psalmist wrote, and praise your name for your loving kindness and your truth, for you have magnified your word above all your name. That's God speaking. The main priority of the early church was the word of God. As they were having problems, they said, you appoint seven men who can take care of these things. But the apostles said, we're going to give ourselves continually to prayer and the ministry of the word. Paul wrote to Timothy, let the elders be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. It's essential. It's important. It's the foundation. It's central to a church is the teaching of the word of God. And by the way, mark your calendars, if you would, for the inductive Bible study. It's fantastic. And we get to have Dan come, who's been doing this for years. He began this whole uh, inductive Bible study in the Philippines because they had no commentaries. They had none of that stuff. And they just wanted to, 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 he wanted to teach them how to study the Bible without those things. Observation, interpretation, application. We have ways of discipling here. And by the way, did you know that all the, quote, the men, of the, the men of God so, so identified in the Bible, Moses, Samuel, Elijah, Elisha, David, and Timothy were all devoted to the word of God. The R is the revelation of our instruction. All scripture given by inspiration of God, it is in all ways profitable. For what? Doctrine. That is learning what is right. For reproof. What is that? Learning what is wrong. Three, correction, learning how to make what is wrong right. Can I hear an amen? You see, these are the truths that the Bible brings out to bear on us. It's restoring to an upright position. The only way the believer will be able to tell the truth from the false is by handling the real deal. Instruction in righteousness, which is really learning how to keep what is right right. Actually, the, the, the terminology is child-rearing. You see, Christian discipleship entails both nurture and correction. Some may say, and maybe you've said this, I needed the Bible when I was younger, but now that I'm older, I don't really need it. I have a theological argument for that. One word. You know what it is? Baloney. <laughs> the older that we get, the more we need the Bible. We face more temptations. We make decisions that affect people. The weight of our lives is, in fact, I, I was just, as I was thinking this through, I was thinking of what's happened to some of the pastors. Bob Coy. Calvary Chapel, Fort Lauderdale. My heart breaks because Satan was able to get him. Pastor Chuck would always remind us, Satan's out to get you. And here, Bob Coy, who's ministering the word of God to thousands of people, had something going on secretly that brought about his fall. You see, in the Bible... Many of those who fell, fell in the latter years of their lives. We face temptations. We've been through it. We, we, can, we can, getting older, it's like you learn how to play the ropes a little better. To our detriment many times. Never, never let the Bible get old in your life. You need it more than ever the older that you get. You need it more than ever the more that you walk with God and make your way through life because Satan is sizing us up. He's had a few more years to size us up. And he's looking whom he may devour. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. 
praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit. Prayer and the ministry of the word. At the risk this morning of possibly offending some of you, you see, when we talk about the truth, there's a tension that's there because it's the truth. Whatever things Romans were written, were written for our learning. See, God puts in the Bible a lot of stories, and it's not that they did a good job living their lives. They did a terrible job in rebellion against God and sin, and they're there for our learning that through patience and comfort of the Scriptures, we might have hope. Learn. 1 Corinthians, all these things happened to them as examples. Not good ones many times. They were written for our admonition. So I'd like to risk a little bit because I think in a study of the Bible, there are many issues that are tension issues that we need to be able to, at least in our hearts, dialogue with God about and say, okay, Lord, here's the truth. Now, how do I live that out? I'll tell you this, that the issue I want to talk to you about strikes deeply in my own family and my extended family. And I am confident in many of yours too. You see, this is just one issue of many issues. It brings this issue and those bring out this tension because they're so loaded with convictions and emotions and accusations and unfortunately an unloving attitude and envy and whatever it might be that comes along with it. So they're difficult to talk about. But so will it always be with the truth. Alistair Begg asked the following question of pastors' teachers. Do you want to do you want to lead your congregation or do you want to be liked by your congregation? Now, before you get too carried away with this, I want to be liked, okay? (laughs) But that's what we're up against. Many times, the truth brings a certain tension. It brings a certain division. It brings a light into darkness. And darkness doesn't like the light. We may not like the truth, but brothers and sisters, we better be led by the truth. We better be learning the truth and living the truth. Jesus said, can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall in the ditch? Now the next verse, we hear that one, but the next verse says this. A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. So what we're following is where we're going to wind up. So this week, I was sent an article titled, Let the Separation Come, in which Dr. Michael Brown talked about the issues related to his latest book, Can You Be Gay and Christian? Dr. Brown sees it as providential that at the same time his book came out, Matthew Vines released his new book, God and the Gay Christian. So Dr. Brown writes, and by the way, if I'm offending you, if it's a little too much, I'm hoping just, just hear my heart and hear his heart here. I think that this would be helpful because it's attention. He wrote this, what excellent timing and what an excellent opportunity to compare and contrast these two very different views. The question of gay Christianity is not a minor issue. As much as I am constantly tackling controversial subjects, I am also working for the unity of the body, trying to major on the majors, and often interacting privately with those with whom I differ. Yet I recognize that sometimes division for the sake of truth can be healthy. And you know, it's now is one of those times. One view says that while God deeply loves all people and offers them redemption in Jesus... Under no circumstances would he ever bless or approve of two men or two women having sex together. The other view says that under the right circumstances, God would, excuse me, would bless and approve of two men or two women having sex. Parenthesis, for those who think that sex is not the issue, bear in mind that one of the major arguments made by same-sex marriage advocates like Matthew Vines 
is that it's better for guys, for gays, to be able to marry than to burn with lust based on a serious misapplication of 1 Corinthians chapter 7. They're pulling scripture out, but it is a serious misapplication. Without a doubt, this issue will become a great dividing line in the church, and I, for one, welcome it since it points to a much deeper divide in our approach to God, his word, and the people he died to redeem. Ultimately, it will separate those who put God first and ask, how can I fulfill his desire? So he's saying now these two separations. It will separate those who put God first and ask, how can I fulfill his desires from those who put themselves first and ask, how can he fulfill my desires? Although some will take extreme offense to this statement, if you analyze the major gay Christian arguments, they often boil down to this perspective. There is no, he continues, there is no ambiguity in what the Bible says about homosexual practice. Every reference to it in the scriptures is decidedly negative. There is not a single positive example of homosexual relationship in the word and marriage by God's ordained definition from the beginning is the union of one man and woman for life. He continues, gay theologians or their straight allies are making the mistake of starting with a clear word from God and then questioning the scriptures based on their own experiences or the experience of of their friends. In the case of same-sex marriage, Such a concept was unknown throughout church history until recent years, and there is not a single verse supporting the position, while in reality, the testimony of the entire Bible is against it. The question of gay Christianity is not a minor issue. It affects our views of the authority of Scripture, the meaning of marriage and sexuality, the importance of gender distinctions, and not to mention the massive implications for the society at large. That's why he writes, I welcome the coming separation over this issue. And as painful as the division will be within churches, denominations, ministries, and even families, it is absolutely necessary and unavoidable. Dr. Brown ends with this. Please listen. That doesn't mean that we attack each other or speak and act in ways that would dishonor the Lord. But it does mean that we hold firmly to our conviction before him, regardless of the cost or consequences, knowing that God's ways will be vindicated in the end. After I shared this on first service, I had a brother come up and talk to me, going through some similar kinds of things. And you know, the great challenge and the great difficulty is in my heart where I have the heart of God for sinning people. He's the judge, I'm not. But the only thing that will bring someone to a place of healing, a place of freedom, is in, is in the truth. Jesus said, you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. We're told in Timothy, Timothy, is it? Yes. Said the servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, in humility, instructing those who are in opposition. If God perhaps will grant them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, that they may escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. We're to be gentle. We're to be loving and caring, because they're not going to stand before me or you, whoever it might be, in whatever sin it might be. And so that's the issue, is the heart issue. God, your heart for these people. And I, and I noted to this brother, you know, Jesus rebuked the hip, hypocrisy of religion. That's who he rebuked, but not the sinners. Not the one coming to him, whether it's adultery or whatever it might be. Those are the ones that Jesus spoke to and ministered to. And thus it is with us, his people. He wants, he loves us these people, whether they're caught in the sin of homosexuality or adultery or whatever it might be, God died for them and loves them. And the challenge for us is learning truth and living truth in such a way that they see the truth that indeed God's truth is good and God's truth is right and God's truth is healing and God's truth will bring them to a place of salvation and freedom. And he must do that. 
In the 1500s, Martin Luther, at the risk of death, said this, unless I am convinced by the testimony of the scriptures or by clear reason, for I do not trust either in the Pope or in the councils alone. Now, he's standing before the Catholic Church, the Protestant Reformation. He's at risk of his very life. So this is what he says to him. I don't trust either in the Pope or in the councils, since it is well known that they have, oft, they have often erred and contradicted themselves. This is what he said on your screen. I am bound by the scriptures I have quoted, and my conscience is captive to the word of God. I cannot and I will not recant anything since it is neither safe nor right to go against conscience. May God help me. Amen. In our postmodern me-centered culture, it comes down to a contrast of questions. Instead of asking, what is the scripture actually saying? Our culture's question is, how does that make you feel? Instead of asking, why is this here in the scriptures? The question is, what does it remind you of that you'd like to share? Instead of, why is God saying this in this way? The question is, if you'd been there, what would you have written? Instead of, what is surprising about this passage? Or what is challenging about this passage? The question is, what would you like to change about that passage? You see, we need to get back to the questions being asked of us from the scriptures. You know, I heard about a school doing a paper on the Declaration of Independence, of Moral Day, Declaration of Independence, and the... the the, uh, the, the homework assignment was, what do you think you would have written if you had written the Declaration of Independence? And I'm thinking, that seems a little irrelevant. It almost seems irrational. What does that, so what? It's our Declaration of Independence. What is the Declaration of Independence saying? to think critically and to think judiciously and analytically, teaching those kids how to think through and look at and understand it. Now it's, well, what, what would you have written? How much more the word of God? How much more should we be coming to the word of God and letting it shed its light on my heart and my mind and learn from that what I believe and what I hold to, that it would judge me and not me it. The final M quickly is, Motivation. The motivation of our instruction is that God can meet, can, can so revolutionize our lives to be able to meet all the demands. He says there that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Our learning must be grounded in the scriptures not merely the passing on of humanistic principles and values. Secondly, our learning must be thorough. Listen, there are no shortcuts to true spiritual growth and discipleship. It includes instruction and correction. Rather than focusing unilaterally on encouragement, it's part of it, but there's also correction and reproof that are a part of that. Finally, our learning must be for others. Not merely for a person's own edification or intellectual stimulation, but for the equipping of others for ministry. And this is where we now go into the second part. You see, he said that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for what? Every good work. And as you look at the pastoral epistles, this person, us being called the good works is all over them. So we'll look at those next week. I'll end with the same quote I gave to you. Live as if you were to die tomorrow. Learn as if you were going to live forever. Amen. We're running a little late, so why don't you stand? And Joe, can you do a short chorus for us? Let's, let's pray. 
Lord, again, a lot of issues, a lot of them. Even as I, you know, in the last days, perilous times will come. Men will be lovers themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, and all that whole horrible list that we could actually put ourselves in. Only your word is going to change anything. The truth will set you free. And Lord, we don't want to just have a bunch of information, even this morning. We don't want to go out of here with some good argument. Lord, what we want to leave here is with a rededication of our lives to your word, to reading it, rightly dividing it, studying it, memorizing it, hiding it in our hearts. Because the word of God is able to do that, to change us, to shape us, to profit for doctrine, for reproof, for correction and instruction and righteousness. We want to profit, Lord, and the only way we will is if we're taking your word seriously. And maybe this morning is a time for you or some, any that might want to just rededicate yourself to reading your Bible. Or maybe a parent rededicating yourself to reading the Bible to your children. Whatever that might be, Lord, we stand before you together as your church. We want to have such a deep conviction and love for truth. You are the way, the truth, and life, Jesus. We want to handle it as you handled it in living it. We want to know you. Lord, a lot of other things come to mind, but please, Lord, and I would pray and ask in these relationship things that we're facing, maybe homosexuality, relate, whatever it might be, Lord, we need your heart. We need your wisdom because, Lord, you love them. Whatever condition and state it might be, adultery or fornication or drugs, you love them. You died for them. You ministered to them. I think of that woman taking adultery. You said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Lord, we ask, please, work in us in learning truth and living truth in such a way that your heart, our hearts beat with your heart. We need your wisdom. We need, Lord, you to give to us just the strength and love grace and mercy and patience and perseverance. That's the fruit of the Spirit. As we sing this song, can we just take our, our prayers to the Lord and, and then I'll pray to close. Go ahead, Joe. Amazing